Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we exist so that you can experience God. If you like this content, would you consider subscribing and joining our online community? That way you can get notified on each week's messages. With that being said, we pray that this message encouraged and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask a question, and I'm giving you permission already in advance to answer this honestly. You are in church. So answer it honestly. How many of you like the show Criminal Minds? I know some of you are like, I'm in church. I can't admit that I like that show. Bro, that is a sadistic show, man. So I've I've twice now started watching Criminal Minds because now it's like on Netflix or something. I don't know. One of those kind of platforms. And like the first time I started watching it and I'm like, my God, this is like psychological damage to me it's causing. And I stopped watching it. And then like years later, I'm like, I'm going to watch it again. So I started watching it on the treadmill when I was working out. And once again, same thing. I'm like, I got to stop watching this show. And um, here's the thing about that show. It is incredible the stories that are in that show of of insidious evil, evil that's at a level that's just incredible that you watch it and you think, oh my gosh, how could somebody do that? But then that show often corresponds with real life. There are these stories that happen in life that you hear about from time to time of children being killed or abused or these these stories of, of rape or somebody being locked in a bedroom or a cellar for years or their entire lives. And you hear these stories and, and, and I was tempted to start with one of those stories, but I'm like, I don't want to start down here, man. My goodness, that's a, that's a tough spot to start. But there's those stories that you hear them and if you're like me, and I think you probably are, if you're like me, you hear those kind of stories that happen and you're like, how could somebody do that? Anybody else, like, you ever hear those? Like somebody abuses a child or locks a child in a bedroom, you know, for years or, and, you, and you, you're like, how... How could somebody do that? And there's all kinds of stories, whether it's mass shootings or different things that go on, and you ask that question, and Criminal Minds creates an idea for that. But what I want to do over the next few moments, answer that question, how could somebody do that? I want to answer that over the next few moments. Now, there's there's four biographies that we nowadays call the Gospels, right? And and, uh, all four of those were written either by people with firsthand were either there when Jesus did the things, and so they're just taking account of what they saw him do, or they get it from somebody who was there. So from somebody who was there, and they're simply uh, what that person is telling them. And we call the Gospels. The Gospels are interesting books because they, they, they chronicle the life of Jesus, but one of the things you see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus was, was never trying to be a star himself. He was always trying to create a galaxy. Some of y'all remember that from the beginning of the year? It's our theme. Got those shirts running around here all over the place. Jesus wasn't trying to be a star himself. He was always trying to create a galaxy. And so oftentimes there'd be huge groups of people that would come and start following Jesus. And he was always trying to get them to like disseminate, like get away, you know. And he would go hide out by himself or he would have some hard teaching and so they would disperse or or, or whatever. He He was never trying to create a crowd, which is funny by our American standards when nowadays if you have a crowd, that's a good thing. With Jesus, if you have a crowd, he's he's trying to disperse them. But not only that, but Jesus also was, in, uh, he seemed to look at ministry as, it's not all about me, even though he's Jesus, when it is all about him, but I want to empower others to do the works that I'm doing. And so you see where he would empower the 12 disciples and send them out, which is what apostle means, it means sent one. And so he would send them out. 
to do the work of ministry. Later on, he sends out 72. Later on, he sends out all of us. It's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's the Great Commission. He's commissioning us. He's sending us out. And so even though he is the centerpiece of Christianity, he's always empowering people to go take what he's teaching and doing and say, go out, because he recognizes you can all do more together than one person, because he's 100% man, but also 100% God. You with me so far? Yeah. And so you see that throughout. And uh, we're going to pick up the story um, of where he sends people out. We're going to look at it in three of the four Gospels today in different sections of the sending out and what's happening as he sends people out. First, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, let's start there. Matthew is a tax collector turned follower of Christ, kind of a hated person, uh, uh, equivalent nowadays to being a terrorist maybe, uh, who comes to Christ. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to them and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, if you were to keep reading, it starts naming who the disciples are. For the sake of time, we're going to skip down to verse verse 5. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now listen to verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. So here's the message to proclaim. The kingdom of heaven has come. Then what do you do after you proclaim the message? Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. In other words, for many of you, I have already done these things for you. I've either healed you, driven out demons out of you, I've taught you. What I have done for you, I have freely done for you. I never charged you. Now you go out and do it for them. Are you with me? It's this beautiful picture that you're going to see both here and in the next two passages of, of a proclamation that's given followed by demonstrations of power. Paul would later say, as he's a New Testament leader, Paul would later say, I did not just come with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. The two go hand in hand. They are always meant to go hand in hand. If you have wise and persuasive words without demonstrations of power, you only have half of the balance that's meant to go with preaching the gospel. But if you have demonstrations of power, but you don't have the wise and persuasive words, the kingdom of God teaching, then you also have an imbalance that happens. Both of them have bad effects, but uh, you need both. Are you with me? Yeah. And then, so that's Matthew chapter 10. The next gospel that you will run into is Mark. And uh, Mark is um, John Mark, is what he's referred to biblically oftentimes. Uh, he is a, uh, 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 he gets his message directly from Peter and seems to scribe what Peter says about Jesus. But pick up Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. It says, he said to them, go into all the world. This is one of the versions of the Great Commission, by the way. And preach the gospel to all creation. Now he's sending out all the church. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And once again, you see this? So there's a message to be preached. Now there's actions that follow. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Most, most pastors, or oftentimes pastors, would probably stop right there just for the sake of not opening up a can of worms, but that's just not the way we roll. So I'm just going to finish out the paragraph. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. 
And I know there's always some guest in here, and you're like, I knew this is one of those snake-handling churches. <laughs> He's about to pull out a snake out of a box, and it's going to be crazy. And I know it's one of those kind of churches. No, let me just be real clear, because this is why I wanted to finish out the, the, the paragraph that Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is not saying to run around going after picking up snakes. He is saying in this ancient world, especially where you spend a great deal of time outside and traveling, that if you run into snakes, that you don't have to worry that they will kill you. You are on a mission greater than these snakes that will come in your life, right? You don't go picking up snakes and playing with them to prove your spirituality. But if you are on the mission field and you get bit by a snake, as happens in the book of Acts with Paul, you don't have to fear that you will die because your mission is greater than that snake's mission. Are you with me? So, so we're not a snake handling church. Although I did hear this funny story. It's a true story. This, uh, this pastor um, was a, a church planter, and he's planting a church, and uh, it's, it's really funny. So he, um, uh, as oftentimes happens with church planters, they have a set-up tear-down thing because they're in a location that's not a permanent uh, location for them. And so they would have to set up for the church, tear down afterwards, you know, church planting. Yeah. And so this pastor is in the setup mode, and um, um, a guest comes in early while they're still setting up, right? And people are, his whole team's running back and forth, carrying stuff out of, you know, the, the truck and bringing it in. And this guest comes in early, because you know that's how it works. Guests come early, regular people come late. Yeah. Anybody feeling guilty right now? Yeah. So, so this guest comes early, so it's a church plant, man. If you know anything about church planters, they'll do anything to get you to stay when you come as a guest, which they should, right? And so, so, so the church planter walks over, and he's talking to the, to the couple that came in. He's like, yeah, yeah, tell them about the church, vision of the church, all this. They seem really interested, really connected. Meanwhile, people are walking back and forth, setting up for church, right? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the cord that runs from the sound booth to the stage that kind of runs to all the microphones is called a snake. That's what it's called. That's what it's referred to as. And so he's sitting there talking to this couple, and people are running their stuff back and forth. And sure enough, this guy walks by with this big old giant box, and he goes, Pastor, where do you want me to put the snake? <laughs> that guest couple, their eyes got like this big. <laughs> It was awesome. Anyway, he's like, no, that's, we're not that kind of church. Anyway, I just had to tell that. That was funny. Okay. On to the very next scripture, Luke, the very next gospel that you will run into. Luke uh, is this uh, 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 person who, he's, a, he's a, a doctor who chooses to write a biography of Jesus. He's the only one who's purposely going out and getting information from a lot of people. And he writes a sequel to Luke by the name of Acts. And it really just goes Luke to Acts if you were following his uh, writing. And so Luke chapter 10, he's writing about Jesus. And he says this. And this is now, I should say this, Jesus says, just like the 12 that I read first, he sent out 72 on another occasion, and it says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons tremble, or I'm sorry, even the demons submit to us in your name. <coughs> Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. You see how that snakes and scorpions thing plays out there? A little different. So nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right, let's get going. So we start a three-week series today that I'm super excited about because it's nostalgic for me. It takes me back to my childhood, takes me back to TV and, and shows that I remember watching with cartoons, both that and the movies. It takes me back to Bobby Brown singing, too hot to handle, too cold to hold, we are the Ghostbusters. It takes me back to that era. Anybody with me? <laughs> <laughs> it takes me back to a time where everybody knew certain, certain slogans. And so, so you guys know the title of the series. So if I were to say this, you need to respond. Who are you going to call? Something strange in your neighborhood. 
say, I ain't afraid of no ghost. In fact, if you want to, just look at the title of this message and put an X to it and say, I ain't afraid of no ghost. That's what I should have titled this message. I thought about it like this morning and I missed it. But anyway, I ain't afraid of no ghost. Listen, I don't want you to get slimed and I want you to put on your spiritual proton packs and kick some devil butt over the next few weeks. So what I want to do is give you four essentials today, four kind of essential basic understandings today that are going to set up both today and the rest of this series, okay, uh, of how do you can be a ghost buster. Number one, i got to say this right off the bat so we're all on the same page. Demons exist. Demons exist. Listen, you may not believe in demons, but they believe in you. <laughs> demons exist. In fact, if you're a follower of Christ and you're a Bible believer, you should recognize that especially in the New Testament, we are a New Testament church, every New Testament book mentions the demonic except for the book of Hebrews. So almost every single one, Jesus had at a minimum eight encounters with demons during his career. It could be looked at as longer than that, but during his ministry, at least eight encounters with demons. In fact, roughly 25% of his public ministry was associated with demons. Oftentimes when he would heal somebody, he also drove out a demon. In the book of Acts, which becomes our repertoire for how we do ministry, in the book of Acts, you see that 11 times in the book of Acts, they deal with the demonic. That was a common practice at the time. That was normal. Over 100 times in the entirety of the Bible, you see that the demonic is mentioned and that you have to deal with the demonic. In fact, if you were to read from the Old Testament all the way to the New and go through the Old Testament leaders like Moses and the judges and the prophets and, and go all the way into the New Testament and you see the teachings of Jesus and you see the disciples and then you go into the, the teachings of Paul and then you see the teachings of the early church. What you will find is without a shadow of a doubt they all believed in demons and then you fast forward 2,000 years to the modern church and we love angels and we don't really like to talk about demons anymore. And when that happens we find ourselves starting to get in trouble because demons know you whether you know them or not. In fact, it's funny because uh, in the book of Acts, there's a really fun story. The Bible is full of fun stories. You should read it sometimes. Um, <clears throat> it's a really fun story of Paul is going around and he's been casting out demons. That's part of his ministry. Why? Because Jesus said that would be part of your ministry. He said, this is what it looks like. You preach the kingdom, cast out demons, heal the sick. And so uh, Paul's casting out demons. And when you cast out a demon, the person is better on the other side. Okay? So people are getting better. And these, these people that are referred to as the seven sons of Sceva, watch what Paul's doing, and they're like, hey, man, we can make money from this. Like, you know, they're entrepreneurs. They're trying to figure out what they could do. And they're like, we could make some money off this thing, so why don't we cast out demons and we could charge people because it's like, it's like therapy or counseling, right? We're helping people. And so they said, we're going to cast out demons. And so they follow what Paul does, and they go to cast out demons. And, and it's awesome because the demon looks back at, the, at these boys, and the demon goes, listen, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but in my language, who the heck are you? <laughs> who are you? Peter I know, Paul I know, I'm sorry, Paul and Jesus I know, but who, who, who are you? And, and, and then it doesn't end there because then the, the demonic person actually beats them all up, which is just awesome. I'll tell you, you should read your Bible sometimes. It's got great stories in it. And, um, and uh, uh, so, so, so I want you to see this because the demons knew Jesus. Well, that's fairly obvious. But they also knew Paul. Let me just tell you this. Demons know who I am. And if they don't know who I am, I'm not doing a very good job at what I do. 
right? Demons know me, and that doesn't scare me. It doesn't surprise me. Demons, I know demons know my wife. <laughs> demons run from my wife. But demons know, listen, do demons know you? Let me make no mistake. If you are a Christian, demons know you. You may not know them. You might try to ignore them, but they're not ignoring you. Demons, demons know you. <clears throat> and I'm afraid, I, I even wrote this, I put it on social this morning because it was just affecting me so much, even as I was looking over my notes this morning. But I wrote this in my notes this way. A world that no longer believes in demons will be subject to the reign of the demonic. And my fear is that we live in this world right now that is, that is so educated and so civilized, and we are the smartest dumb people on the planet. And we're so educated and so civilized that now we want to ignore the demonic and create something else for everything. So every time a person's hearing voices, we want to give them pure pills instead of just casting out the demon. <laughs> are you with me? And I'm not saying everything is, I'm not, I'm not against pills and things like that. I'm just saying one of the things that we do in the body of Christ, especially as Pentecostals, is cast out demons. This goes right along with preaching the gospel. Nobody has an issue with preaching the gospel in general in the Christian world, but to follow that was to heal the sick and raise the dead. Those are things that most of us don't have too much of an issue with, that we're going to pray for the sick, but cast out demons. And again, in Jesus' ministry, healing the sick and casting out demons went together like this. Like they were almost, they were very frequently together. And so if we're not careful, what we do is we start trying to counsel everybody out of the, the demonic. You can't counsel a demon out. Huh? You can't negotiate with a demon to get it out. <coughs> and one of the great problems of our society is a lack of belief in things that are unseen. It's, it's a naturalistic society that only believes in things that you can see. But make no mistakes, there are lots of things that are actually foundational to everything else we believe that are unseen. Literally the laws of the universe and physics and logic and all these laws are unseen, but yet they hold everything together and we base much of what we understand on those laws. Listen, just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. And just because you can't see something doesn't mean it can't hurt you. And the demonic is just as alive and well today as it was during Christ's time, just as alive and well today in America as it is in Africa and other places where it's talked about more frequently. And demons love to camouflage and masquerade and hide under the radar, and they love it when you just act like that they don't exist. Because if you act like they don't exist, you're never expelling them from a person's life or your own life, right? So we've got we to be careful of that. So um, there's a guy named Derek Prince. He's a British uh, uh, scholar who teaches on this subject. Uh, he's passed away now. He was older. Uh, but he's passed away now. But he was probably one of the more modern, foremost experts on this subject. And you can look up his teachings on YouTube. It's great. And he's got that great British accent, which makes everything he says sound more profound than anybody else. Um, but he says there's three objectives of demons. Number one, to torment and torture. To torment and torture. Hear, hear me. If you are tormented or tortured over something, it's probably demonic. I'm not saying it always is. It's probably demonic. Uh, or to keep you from knowing Christ as Savior. Demons will do anything they can to keep you from knowing Christ as Savior. Some of you, even during this message, you'll be thinking about all kinds of other things. You'll start getting mad at something I say. But why? Because it's a demonic thing in your life that's keeping you and trying to prevent you from knowing Christ as your Savior, to keep you from hearing what I'm saying. And number three, to keep you from serving Christ effectively. He'll do anything he can to put a distraction in your life to keep you from serving Christ effectively. And the question that frequently comes up is, is about uh, being demonized or influenced by demons in that strong kind of way, and, and how does that happen, and can that happen to you? And I want to unequivocally say absolutely yes. 
Uh, there's a lot of debate on this, and theologically people have debate. All I can tell you is I have seen it in my life over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, it is not a debate to me because I've simply been a part of it for so long, and you can say it can't happen, but I've just seen it over and over and over and again. And it's complicated, and we can get into more deep discussion with that. But, but, but literally my ministry was birthed out of, out of this kind of uh, thing. In fact, um, I was many years ago, um, not as many as... I, Many years ago, I was 20 years old. <clears throat> a few of you, where, where Joe Buchanan knew me back then. We both had hair. We were both fit. It's good days. Um, many years ago, I was 20 years old, and, and, I, and the youth pastor left, and I started leading this youth, pastor, this youth ministry, really at 19 at that point, but I had turned 20. I'm leading this youth ministry. It's growing. And then the pastor all of a sudden calls me in and says, hey, we're thinking of hiring you to be the youth pastor. I'm unmarried. I'm 20 years old. I ain't been to Bible college. I'm so green. I don't know what green is. And, um, and so I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And so they start this interview process with me. I don't know how to interview or anything like that. I mean, I'm just a kid. And, and uh, I go through this whole interview process. And the, the board, being a great, wise board, they said, hey, we want to come into one of your youth services and watch what you do. I'm like, okay. No pressure. Just stand in the back. 40 years old, 60 years old, watch this 20-year-old. No pressure on me. Just do everything right. Okay. So this particular youth service, uh, I'm up front, and I had just started leading worship, and, and I could sing a little bit, but I, I just started playing guitar. It was not good, but I'm just playing at the guitar, and I'm trying to play. Got a little youth band that's playing, and, um, and all these teenagers are kind of in the front, and they're worshiping, and I'm playing guitar and worshiping, and, and all of a sudden, this girl starts manifesting a, a, a demonic spirit, like right there. I'm trying to look like official and like, yeah, you should hire me. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm a 20-year-old kid, you know? And I'm like, oh, wow. Thankfully, the board member comes over, and he kind of takes control. And, and I'm like, these guys are never going to hire me after this. Like, is this what happens in your youth ministry? And I guess it's actually a good thing, but at the time, I didn't really see it that way. And, um, but listen, we've been doing this from day one. From day one, this has been a part of Aiden and I's ministry. And um, not something we always talk about publicly as much, but behind the scenes, we've been doing deliverance for a long, long time time. Um, and, and you just gotta, you gotta see this, like, like uh, demons want to control you because demons want to control a body. Like, you could have a, de a disembodied spirit, but I, I don't think, generally speaking, demonic things want to live inside of a jar or inside of a car. Although I've had a car that I swear was demon-possessed, and I told you last week, there was a weed eater that I swear was demon-possessed. <laughs> and we joke about that a little bit, but the truth is, it's not as, spirits are not as interested in being in inanimate things because the inanimate thing doesn't have any power. Yeah. They want to be in you. And so we can be influenced by demons, there's not a doubt, because there's two spiritual realms and two spiritual kingdoms, and both of them want to use your body to work in their kingdom. Right? If you bless somebody physically, it's using your body. If you beat somebody up physically, it's using your body. Both kingdoms want to use your body. And so it creates a war in your mind because what comes out of your mind comes out of your life. Yeah. You with me? And so what comes out of your mind ends up in your body. And so um, both kingdoms want to use your body because your body is powerful. In fact, it's funny. I've had people tell me, they're like, they were talking about seances and stuff they've done with demonic. And they're like, they're like there was a, a cup. And I watched as, as, the, as the people prayed and the cup moved from here to there. And I'm like, oh yeah, watch this. Ooh. <laughs> Why are you impressed that a spirit moved a cup? You can move a cup anytime you want to. Why are you impressed by that? Here, here's what I want you to see. Why? Because your body is more powerful for affecting the world 
than spiritual forces in that way. They will use your body to affect the world. Yeah. Hitler is used by de demonic forces to kill millions of Jews. Right. right. But it has to be in Hitler in order to accomplish that. Right. It always wants to kill Jews. Are, are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fight over your body at the end of the day because we can be influenced by demons. And then let me just point this out. There's, there's two extremes um, that oftentimes come up when we talk about this kind of stuff too. The first extreme I'm trying to cancel right now, and that is that demons don't exist and the spiritual world doesn't exist because I can't see it. Um, hopefully I'm already trying to defeat that a little bit. But then on the other extreme, it's the person that like sees a demon everywhere. <laughs> Anybody know that person? Yeah. Like, man, there's a demon under the bush. Your car won't start. Your car's demon-possessed. You know, you didn't like the food. You got sick. Listen, I've had food poisoning that I swear feels like a demon. But I don't think it's actually a demon. I think it's bacteria, right? I mean, you know. Um, and, and some people, it's like, you know, my child has a sniffle. I'm going to cast the devil out of him. No, I don't think you have to do that, right? There's some people that just go to an extreme, which, by the way, and I'm, and I'm taking a chance here, which, by the way, is why pastors don't talk about this stuff publicly because people tend to go to these extremes, I'm just trusting you not to go to an extreme. Are you with me? Amen. So don't start looking for demons everywhere under every bush, okay? Um, it's it's not, not, not healthy. But here's the truth. Um, if you have weird or unusual behavior, unwanted behavior for long periods of time, there could be something demonic behind that. It may not be a full-fledged demonic episode where somebody's flailing or something like that, but you got unwanted actions that keep coming out of your body things you're doing that you're like, I don't want to do this, and you've been fighting for this for years, there could be demonic things behind that, which we're about to talk about in just a second. But let's go to point number two. We've been given power and authority over the demonic. We've been given authority over the demonic. <clears throat> what I really want to say right here is this. You don't need to fear the demonic. You don't need to fear the demonic. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, uh, in the old Lion's King movie, and it's like Mufasa. <laughs> listen, listen. The Holy Ghost makes every other ghost tremble. That's a good line, isn't it? The Holy Ghost makes every other ghost tremble. Come on, y'all. You don't need to be like in fear of this. We don't need to fear demons. No more than if the Bucks were playing the Brandon Broncos or the Brandon Bears, our little go, local little thing team. If the Bucks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing them today, I don't think they got a fear of losing. No. You with me? If, if, the, if the Orlando Magic decide to come over and play against the, the YMCA seven-year-old gold team, no matter how good that gold team is, I don't think the Orlando Magic are too concerned about losing that game, right? You don't have to fear the demonic. That's silly. That's foolishness. In fact, the environment of hell is fear. Yeah, right. that, that's why you got to be careful putting yourself in a fearful environment. And we've talked at length about this, and, and, and I'll, I'll get off a pedestal of that. But be careful putting yourself into an environment that's purposely causing fear. Because that is the exact polar opposite of what worship does for the spirit. The environment of hell is the environment of fear, and it opens doors. And same way during worship, it opens doors for God to speak to you. During environments of fear, it opens doors for the demonic to, to speak to you and, and influence you. You don't want to do that. At the same time, you don't have to live in fear, right? Um, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, the old evangelist from years ago, Smith Wigglesworth has this famous story where he was laying in bed one night and he heard something stirring in his bedroom and it woke him up. And he looked at the end of his bed, and according to his words, he said the devil was at the end of his bed. And he said, oh, it's only you. And he rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> Come on. You don't need to fear. <clears throat> I can tell you this. Aided myself, we've worked in, in deliverance ministry for, again, years at this point. It's not a fearful thing. I'm not in fear of something like that. 
The devil loves to show off, but I'm not in fear of something like that, and neither do you have to be. So don't be in fear. Say, say it this way. You might, if the Smith Wigglesworth illustration didn't fit, maybe this one does. There's a story of a, a church like this, and the devil comes into the church and, and starts causing fear because the devil walks into the church, and everybody, as soon as they see him, they start fleeing because it's what people do sometimes, and they start running away. So one at a time, board members leave, and teachers leave, and Sunday school teachers leave, and, and, and pastors start leaving, and, and pretty soon everybody is out of the church because the devil is scaring them all, right? Except, except there's, there's, there's one guy left, one guy, one guy sitting there, and the devil walks up to him and says, you ain't scared of me? He says, no, I ain't scared of you. I've been married to your sister for years. Just a joke. Just a joke. You can flip it around and say, I've been married to your brothers for years, your brother for years. Whatever. It's just, it's just, just a joke. My point is, you don't need to be in fear of the devil. You don't need to be in fear of the devil. So hear this. God does not want you to be afraid of demons, but he does want you to be aware of them. And fear and awareness are two very different things. He wants you to be aware of them, but, but not in fear of them. In fact, uh, Peter writes uh, to the persecuted church of Asia Minor in 1 Peter 5, 8, a very famous verse. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, you don't need to fear the devil, but you do need to be aware of his schemes, his plans, so that you're not tripped up by them. And so there's a big difference there between those two. In fact, Jesus, I love this, and it's going to go right into my next point. But, but Jesus, when he starts his earthly ministry, one of the things he does is he goes into the synagogue, so like the schoolhouse of the day, and they're having church in the schoolhouse in the synagogue, and he opens up a scroll to Isaiah, and he begins to read it, but he reads it as if it's himself, which also is you and I in our ministry to this day. And in Luke chapter 4, it says this, as he's reading, and he's prophesying over himself as he's reading Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. This is that same thing where you're going to see a proclamation followed by demonstration. So because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to recover sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Which leads right into my third point. We should be exercising our authority over the demonic. It's not enough to say you have authority, and most of us, or many of us at least, would say, I know I have authority over the spiritual forces. I know I have authority. It's not enough to know it. You have to exercise it. You've got to do something about it. And one of the problems with the modern American world is a knowledge of something but not practicing it. So we know that the demonic is there, but we never actually remove the devil off of his throne so that God can get on his. And so we end up in this world where we don't confront the things of evil. Instead, we run from them because we've been taught so well that you shouldn't be in an evil setting and you shouldn't. And there's some truth to that. But instead of lighting a candle, we run from the darkness and everything just gets more and more darker. Are you with me? Yeah. You got to see this. Jesus never sent anyone out to preach, ever. He never commissioned them and sent them out to do the work of the gospel without giving them authority to drive out demons. It was assumed, it was normal, it was the way he did things. Nowadays it's so abnormal, but at that time period it was as normal as praying for the sick. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. In the modern American church, instead, now we, now we have counselors instead of spiritual war- warriors. I'm not against counseling. We have a whole counseling center in our church. I am for counseling. But there are some things that you can't counsel somebody out of. We end up more clinical, clinical than spiritual. We end up more New Age than New Testament. 
And we gotta be so cautious of this. Listen, the devil is under your feet, but you have to step up to get on there, to to bring him down. He does not have control. So how how does that play out? One of the things that plays out in our world a lot is that in general, people will talk about crucifying the flesh. But sometimes you are actually dealing with a demonic entity in your life that's affecting you. It's not the flesh. And so we will crucify the flesh, crucify the flesh, crucify the flesh, and still have the same problem. Because you can't crucify the demon, and you can't drive out the flesh. Those are two different remedies, right, right? So, so the remedy of the flesh is crucifixion. The remedy of the demonic is expulsion. These are two different remedies for what you're facing. So, so, so lean in and don't get offended. If you have been crucifying the flesh for a long period of time, and you've been doing this for a while, and you still have the same issues, it may be demonic. Because you can't crucify the demon. You crucify the flesh. You need to expel the demon. So if you have um, addictions that you can't stop, you may be dealing with a demonic thing. And I know that might sound crazy to you, but listen, if you've been, like, you might want to try something new if you tried the same thing and it hasn't worked over and over. If you have addictions like that, if you have uh, strongholds um, uh, where you have unwanted behaviors and you just can't seem to stop them, no matter how much you, you crucify the flesh, it just seems like you just, listen, if you've got generational things in your family that, you know, my, my great-granddaddy did this and my granddaddy did this and my daddy did this and now I just do this, and it becomes so normal that you say, that's just the way I am, that may be just the way you are, but it may not be the way you're supposed to be. Listen, sometimes there are generational things that flow down, and we've had to deal and break off some of those things. Listen, you've got to recognize, if you, hear, if you hear voices in your head, the flesh doesn't speak to you. The flesh, the flesh urges you, it pulls you away because it desires, but it doesn't speak to you. If you have voices in your head, you know, saying you should kill yourself or kill somebody else or do this thing or that thing, it very well may be demonic. Don't, don't freak out over it. Don't be like, oh my gosh. No, no, just recognize what it is and take authority over it and come see Pastor Ada or myself or somebody and let's start talking about this and how we can get past this thing because that's what we have to do because Jesus never sent people out without giving them authority over demons. It was as normal in the New Testament church as praying for the sick in our church. And it has to be still that normal. So I am very proud to say we are part of a church that that is pretty normal for us. We don't do it as publicly, but it's pretty normal. In fact, 235 people went through our deliverance ministry last year. Or worked through uh, not just our individual teams, but also released the SOAR, which holds their, uh, it's, an, it's a separate ministry, but they, they partner with us and they hold it here. And so a lot of those people in release the SOAR are our people. 235, though. Like, like, that's better than the amen you're giving, because that's 235 people who were once in bondage that are now free. And, it, and it's so important, because, because you, you've watched way too many horror movies, man, so you picture demonic people as all, like, their heads spinning and, and things like that, and, and it's always those weird people. And that. No, no, Jesus was in the synagogues preaching with the normal people when he would end up casting out spirits. Listen, it is normal people. Let's just make it real close and personal. I have been through deliverance ministry. My wife has been through deliverance ministry. Some of our pastoral team has been through deliverance ministry. Some of them need to go through deliverance ministry. <laughs> Some of you right now, I know who he's talking about. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But no, seriously, it's just, it's a normal part of the Christian life. And I want you to see it as that, not this exorcism movie that you watched and all weird. And No, it's just part of your healing and your growth. 
But not only is it part of your healing and growth, it's actually part of your great commission as you go out and evangelize to be part of other people's healing and growth. In fact, I, I love the word deliverance because if we take it out of that demonic uh, context and just put it into a normal context, it's Chuck Norris and missing in action, chasing down people that are, that are prisoners of war that are trapped inside of a bamboo cage and they can't get out and somebody gets to go rescue them. Somebody gets to be the, 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 the military guy that's going after them and saying, hey, I can help open that door for you and bring you out. You get to deliver people. Yeah. You get to be a part of that. That is the last verse of the book of James. My favorite verse in the entire Bible says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Of course Christ does it, but he uses us. Again, you are a slave to either Christ or you're going to be a slave to the demonic, one of the two. And so we get to partner with Christ and actually bring deliverance, chase people down that you need, enlighten them to what's going on and deliver them and be part of that amazing, amazing story. Which, once again is what Jesus said in Luke 4. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. I'm going to say something. I preach, this is my third time preaching this this morning. I'm going to say something I didn't say in the other services. If there are oppressed people in your life, it is your job to help set them free. Let that sink in. Let the burden of that responsibility come on you. Because that's what Jesus is saying here. You are preaching the gospel, the grace of God, the kingdom of God, the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. But then there are these demonstrations of power of people being healed and set free and delivered at the exact same time. And the two go hand in hand. And you've been given authority and power to do that. In fact, I love how it says drive out demons is usually the terminology that we have in our New Testament. Drive out demons. It's, it's to me this the picture of, of driving cattle and you're whipping the cattle to move them forward, which is the same picture of Jesus when he walks into the temple and people are buying and selling and he gets mad and he makes a whip and he drives them out. Sometimes you need to make a whip, go back into your house and say, devil, you do not get to stay here any longer. You have been here long enough and you might have been camouflaged under my radar, but from this day forward, you are out of my household, you are out of my family, you are out of my family lineage. There is not going from me to my son or to my daughter from now on. On, you are out and you are taking the whip of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Said, no, no, you get out of my house. Instead, we want to counsel everybody. You can't counsel a demon. That's what the seven sons of Sceva was trying to do, and you see how that worked out. Huh, huh. All right, we get to point number four. Y'all are getting hungry. When darkness comes to your door, shine a light. When darkness comes to your door, shine a light. First of all, let me just say this. We got to be careful. This may come up in the next few weeks, but we got to be careful of opening doors to darkness. There are certain things I already mentioned. Any environment of fear is an environment that is an open door for the enemy. It doesn't mean he's going to, you know, hurt you, but it, it is an open door. No more than during worship is an open door of heaven. And it doesn't mean every person is touched by God if they don't want to be, but you are in the environment where God touches people. In the environment of fear, whatever that looks like for you, is an environment that the enemy can touch you. You are opening a door. So you got to be careful of horror movies and different things like that that go on. You got to be careful of opening those doors, Ouija boards, different things like that. You got to be careful because that is an invitation. Doesn't mean they always come, but it is an invitation to the demonic. And demons always come through invitation. Uh, it also could be from your family lineage, but that's going to be common. So you've got to be careful that you don't open doors. You don't want to be foolish. 
At the same time, you don't want to hide from the evil in such a way that allows the darkness to keep spreading. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so, all right. So I would never go to an occultic seance and say, I'm going to infiltrate as a spiritual terrorist. I'm going to infiltrate this seance, and when they're praising Satan and they're sacrificing their goat or whatever they're doing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in here and I'm going to say, Shabbalala. And I'm going to, you know, I'm, okay, that's foolishness, okay? I'm not going to infiltrate a seance or an occultic meeting and, and try to cast the devil out of the place, right? That, that's foolishness, right? You with me? However, when the darkness comes to our door, that's a whole other story. I'm not going to it. It's coming to me. Now it's my opportunity. It's my prerogative. It's what I'm, I'm, I'm meant to do is to get rid of that darkness. So I'm not going to a seance, but if a person who's from a seance is here this morning, you should know you are in dangerous territory because that devil in you might actually be out of you by the time you end the service this morning. Are you with me? You come, you come in here, that's a whole other thing. You come into my house, that's a whole other thing. So there's this, there's this fine line between participating in evil and preventing it by standing up for Christ and being a light. Are you with me? Yeah. One of the places that creates this fine line, I'm going to offend some people and other people want to shout, is Halloween. So let me just tell you something that I think you should never say. I'm going to tell you why in a second, you'll get it but I'm going to offend somebody in this room, but that's what I do. That's my job. <laughs> if a preacher doesn't offend you every once in a while, then you are not in the right church. There are some people that will say, Halloween is the devil's day. It's the evil day. Who gave him that day? Who gave the devil a day? Because my Bible teaches me that his mercies are new every morning. It teaches me that this is the day the Lord has made and I will be glad in it. I didn't give him that day. I hope you didn't give him that day. You know what gave him that day? Because Christians stepped out of the day and handed it off. When we were in COVID, uh, not COVID, when we were in um, the hurricane, our power went off for three or four days, whatever it was. And uh, it's kind of fun. We're, you know, running around making puppet images. Anyway. Um, and so we got flashlights and candles and all these things. And what would happen every time, it's, it's amazing. Go practice this at home, you'll figure it out. What would happen is we'd have a light on, and we'd walk from a dark room, we'd light up the room in that dark room, walk into another room, and that room would light up, but the room we went from would turn dark again. Yeah. Right? It's rocket science, it's genius. <laughs> the issue was never the darkness, the issue is where am I taking the light? And Christians are notorious for collecting all the lights together in one room called a church, celebrating the light, while out there it just stays dark everywhere. Wow. Come on. If Halloween is a dark day, it's because Christians abandoned that day and gave it to somebody else. There's no such thing as darkness, it's just the absence of light, and if we have the absence of light. So I'm not saying that you should always run out into everything of a cult and, and run into evil. That is not what I'm saying at all. Come on. At all. But I am saying, when it comes to your door, you should be lighting a light, not running away from it. So what do you mean, what do you mean lighting a light? What are you talking about? Listen, light this Halloween. I dare you. I, I know some of you are just so accustomed to like, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything with that. I dare you just start prayer walking your neighborhood. 
Everybody else is walking around your neighborhood that night anyway. Just start walking around praying. Just start speaking in tongues. Shaba, lava. Just start speaking in tongues as you're walking around. Go to every lamppost, anoint it with oil. Go to every road sign, anoint it with oil. Say, this is God's street in Jesus' name. Start witnessing to the people. It's the one day a year you're going to talk to your neighbors. You know that. That neighbor three doors down, you don't even hardly know them. This is the one day a year you get to go meet them, invite them to church, love on them. Why don't you put some worship music on on your driveway instead of all the, you, your neighbor's got the hellion music. Instead of just ignoring it, put the worship music on. Just really mess everything up. Just start, just start prophesying. Kids come to your door. Trick or treat. Oh, I see a little amazing evangelist right here. You are. Let me put my hands on you. Just start prophesying over the kids. Light the night. Instead of complaining about the darkness, light the night. Invite them to church. Anointing streets. Just walk around singing worship songs, man. Walk around singing worship songs. Man, you go Christmas caroling at Christmas time. Walk around Jesus caroling at Halloween time, man. Just walk around and... Instead of running from the darkness, run into the darkness with light. And then you can't complain that everything's so dark because you know what? Your neighborhood won't be as dark as it was. Won't be as evil as it was. I'm not telling you to, to enter into all the Halloween activities if you don't believe in that. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm just simply entering into it with Christ activities that lights the night. Oh, that lights the night. I dare you. I dare you. Some of you are like, I don't want to do any of that. Here, let me tell you what you should do. Get a prayer meeting going at your house for your neighborhood. Find some other people that say, I don't want to walk around, I don't want to do any of that. Well, then, instead of just ignoring the darkness, get a prayer meeting, man. Get three or four or five people together. You'll find that God is moving. Pray against the spiritual forces that night. You do realize there are satanic people praying in satanic tongues and satanic worship on that same night. So how dare we sit back and just not do anything? No, pray against those things, man. Pray against those things. Listen, the only way that the Brandon Broncos beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a game is if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't show up on the field. Come on. And then the Brandon Broncos will beat them every time. The little seven-year-olds will score touchdowns every play because the Bucs are too spiritual to be on the field. Are y'all with me? Yeah, come on. I know I'm offending somebody, but you probably need it. And if you don't agree with me, that's, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. But I just don't believe we give the devil a day. I don't believe he gets a single day of the year that belongs to him. I don't buy into that for a second. This is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> and you're going to see over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to give you some resources to help with this. We're going to give you some invite cards and things that you can invite your neighbors. If they're coming to your door, invite the kids. Man, our kids' ministry should triple in these coming weeks after, after that because you should be witnessing to all these kids inviting them to church. We want to step into what some people would say is the devil's day and make it the Lord's day. Amen. Amen. By the way, that's the history of the church, by the way. That's how a lot of the Christian calendars dates got put into us practice because people were redeeming days. People were redeeming days. So I end with this. I, I, love, I love everything we're talking about. It's so powerful. It's so profound. And people generally love it when we talk about demonic things because they're interested. Um, but I want to end with this because this will keep us from the extremes. Because Jesus, after seeing the 72 come back, and they said, oh, Jesus, it's incredible. Even the demons submit when we say your name. It's awesome, Jesus. And Jesus gives this great prophecy in what he sees. He says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. In other words, you are tearing down his throne. Good job. High fives all around. Good job. And then he says this, and don't miss this. However, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice because of what I'm doing through you. Rejoice because of what I've done in you. We are way too caught up in the modern Christian world about what God does through us. Oh, I got this ministry and that ministry. If God's not doing it in you first, it doesn't matter what comes out of you. It'll always be polluted. He says, be more excited about what God's doing in you. You know how to light the night this Halloween? Be excited about what God's doing in you and share that excitement everywhere you're going. Don't just say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on worship music and blast it from my driveway. No, that's just going to be annoying. But if you are so in love with Jesus that you can't help but share it with the people that you are around, then by golly, put worship music on and play it from your driveway. And when people come over, lay hands on them. You, are you hearing me? Yeah. It's about what's happening in you, in you, in you. Because what happens in you is that God wants to make you whole. Come on. I, I, this is the final little illustration. We say this all the time in our church, and so if you've heard it a thousand times, I'm sorry you're going to hear it a thousand times more because it's so central to what we believe. But the word saved that we commonly use nowadays, you got saved or this or that, uh, the Greek word there is sozo, which means whole. It means you are being made whole without imperfection. And when we say saved, what we're saying is whole. That God is making me whole, which is why, if you're not careful, salvation will be all about getting to heaven instead of being made whole. It's one thing to get to heaven. That's, that's beautiful. But God wants to make you whole. And what happens is, it's like this bowling ball. This is a heavy bowling ball, too, man. Ernie, Ernie's strong. This is a heavy bowling ball. <laughs> Making me sweat having to carry it around. I want it. What happens is this. Your life, you are born with cracks and crevices and broken places based on your history, your upbringing, people that abused you and did you wrong, even when you don't know it sometimes. Things that you believed and lies you believed, even when they weren't the most worst, but, but you believe them. And what happens is you get all these holes in your life. And as long as there are holes, we use this terminology, don't let the devil have a foothold. Yeah. As long as there are holes, the enemy can grab you and he can manipulate you. He can make you do what he wants you to do. You know, if you're a good bowler, you can spin this thing from one side of the aisle to the other, and, and, one, and you can hit pins that are however many feet away they are. If you're a good bowler, you can manipulate this ball because you have a foothold, you have a handhold to be able to grab. You have crevices to get a hold of. Yeah. But if you were to take away these holes, I don't know if anybody in this room, I mean, we got some big guys, but I don't know that anybody's going to palm this 20-pound or whatever it is bowling ball. I don't think you're going to just pick it up and sling it. Why? It's too heavy for you. It's too much for you. you. You can't, there's nothing to grab a hold of. As you are being made whole, all the cracks of your life, all the strongholds the enemy can grab, all the broken places, all the unforgiveness, all the lies you've believed, slowly, one at a time, start to get filled and patched and healed so that as you grow in your faith, you are made whole. So the enemy used to have his hand on you. And he used to be able to manipulate you and get you to do what you wanted to do. You used to have an anger problem, but, but 10 years has passed. And you find you don't have that anger problem you used to have. And it's not just, it's not just genetically that you got older and you know, your testosterone went down or whatever. No, 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 no. Like the devil doesn't have the hold on you he once had. That's called the Christian life. If there's no change between you and, and if you've been saved for a long time and when you got saved, then something's lacking. 
And so what happens is these things that we used to have struggle with, addictions and strongholds, over the course of your life, God is healing them through the body of Christ and through the Spirit of God. He's healing them. So then when the enemy goes to grab, there's nothing to grab. And then you can truly quote the verse that says that no weapon formed against me will be able to prosper because there's nothing in you to grab. How is it that Jesus could be tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, yet without sin, there was nothing for the enemy to grab? He was whole from birth. He didn't have the defect of all the brokenness that we have, so he was whole. So the enemy would attack him, but he couldn't control him. Are you with me? He could attack him, but he couldn't control him. This is God's will for you. This is what it looks like when you are made whole. And the more crevices you have in your life, the more places for the demonic to grab a hold of and hide. How whole are you? How whole are you? Because that's where the enemy wants to come in. Now, now, that word sozo, the word saved, is where the, the wholeness starts. As long as you are not, quote, saved or being made whole, you are on the enemy's territory and you're going to have lots of open doors for him to grab a hold of you. And we've seen it, right? But once you become saved and you become whole, all of a sudden you are no longer part of that world system, a different world system, and you don't belong to that old thing anymore. You belong to a new thing. So just stand up with me so that you're paying attention. Y'all got to hear this. <laughs> So I once was a part of the kingdom of darkness, but then I stepped into what, what Paul would refer to as his glorious light in the kingdom of light. So I'm out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. This is so key because as long as I'm part of the kingdom of darkness, demonic things, I'm in their kingdom. I'm a part of that, whether I mean to be or not. But when I step into salvation in God's glorious light, now they don't have a right to me anymore. They might still attack me. They might still be able to grab me, but they don't have a right to it as that kingdom of light comes. Say it this way. We even have something in our society called diplomatic immunity, right? So a person can come from another country to the United States and they have diplomatic immunity. So even if they break our laws, they're not subject to our court systems. They just get sent back home is what would essentially happen, right? And so in the kingdom of God, I am no longer in the kingdom of darkness. I am in the kingdom of light. Therefore, I am not subject to those rules and order anymore. So you used to be able to boss me around. You used to be able to control me. But now I am not subject to that because I'm subject to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Therefore, you have to take your hands off of me. Does that make sense? policeman picks up a diplomat from another country says I'm taking you to jail he says you have to take your hands off of me I'm not from here I don't know who I'm talking to but somebody this morning you need to be looking at the devil say you got to take your hands off of me you don't get to hold me because you had me back here you got to take your hands off of me from this day forward in my house we are washed and covered in the blood of Jesus Christ you do not get to control me anymore I am bought with a price. I do not belong to you anymore. I am in a new kingdom. Amen. And when you're in this kingdom, now all of a sudden you can 
walk in that spiritual authority to both break off demonic strongholds on yourself and others. But as long as you are in the kingdom of darkness, you are the seven sons of Sceva. Paul I knew, Jesus I know, but I don't know you, man, and you get your butt kicked. Are you tired of getting your butt kicked? Because when you step into the kingdom of light, no longer does the kingdom of darkness have a right to you. And when we get into deliverance talk, and this can all be taught later in smaller groups or such, but rights matter. Some of us have given the enemy a right to us. Sometimes that's because we are no longer in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, would you consider subscribing? If you are moved by this message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myarizechurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.